If you've bought property, you likely funded your purchase partly through a mortgage. If the property increases in value over time by more than the cost of the borrowing, you're better off. In the stock market, using debt is often called gearing. The new BetaShares Wealth Builder Funds, ASX ticker symbols G200 and GHHF, offer moderate gearing across Australian and global shares for investors who are comfortable with the higher risks associated with gearing their investments. You can discover how they work by visiting betashares.com.au. Please don't forget that gearing magnifies gains and losses, so read the relevant PDS and TMD on the website and consider if the fund is right for you. BetaShares Capital Limited is the issuer. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. This is a podcast by the Rask Group. It's for educational purposes only. So please do not make a financial, legal, investment or taxation decision based on solely what you hear in this show. Welcome to the Australian Property Podcast. We're on a mission to be Australia's most trusted property podcast. I'm Owen Rask, founder of the Rask Group. I'm Pete Wardgen, author and buyer's agent. I'm Amy Lenardi, and I am a buyer's agent. I'm Chris Bates, ex-financial planner and mortgage broker. Together, we'll take you through every step of your property journey. From first home buyer to decades of property investing. Welcome to the Australian Property Podcast. Super excited for you to be joining us today. We're on a mission to become Australia's most trusted property podcast and also super excited to be doing this with Amy. It's been a while. I've done lots of episodes with Pete recently and so good to be doing an episode with Amy. How are you doing and how's life? Yeah, no, it's really great, Chris. Um, I recorded with Pete again this morning and I was just saying it's like it's recording this pre-Christmas at the moment. But by the time you're listening to it, it's January. But it's the property market. It it sometimes like things are transacting all the way up until Christmas Eve, and then everyone mm. just shuts down, and no one wants to think about property or talk about property for a good month, I would say. Um, yeah. And then it just booms back into action again. Do you find it's a lot of the um, the conveyances and the lawyers kind of they definitely go on holidays and such? That transacting is really hard, even if. The agent wants to and there's a buyer and there's a seller sometimes even just getting the legal sides are hard at that time absolutely so even in some contracts at the moment it, there will be special conditions in the contract to say settlements cannot occur up until say the 8th or the 15th of january mm. because you need the lawyers you need the solicitors and conveyances around to to do all of that for you and to you know read contracts etc um but yeah it's fair to say that not much happens at the end of december start of january and I think that sort of a links into our episode today. So we thought it'd be pretty valuable just to talk through all the different 
people and all the different fingers in the pie of when you're looking to buy a property, who you need to potentially engage and think about. Like not everyone you need to have, absolutely. And but sometimes you might use them if it's a bit of a quirky situation or you definitely need you want some extra advice. So how should we attack this today, Amy? Should we just start from the top? I mean I mean, let's yeah. even go with whether you go to a bank or a broker. I mean, finance is usually one of the first things in the process. What do you reckon, or should we go yeah. should we start somewhere else? Well, first of all, I will say that we have deep dived into a lot of these specialists in other episodes. So, for example, mm. we've done a whole episode on uh, mortgage brokers. We've done a whole episode of building inspections, et cetera. So, go back to those. But the purpose of this episode is really to say, like, what are the key property professionals who you need to start thinking about engaging or researching or, you know, getting referrals for at the very beginning of your property journey? We're going to have a chat about at what, what point in time you should get them on board because you don't want to be all of a sudden needing to make an offer on a property and scrambling to find these professionals. And we're going to have a chat about which ones are mandatory, which ones are optional and which ones are highly recommended because you don't have to have all of these professionals in your Mm. team. So we'll just have a chat about in what situations you might need them and when to get them involved and also how to find them as well. So, and I would always generally begin with um, thinking about the finance side of things. So, the key decision there is unless you're really lucky and you've got a heap of cash burning a hole in your pocket and you don't need a loan, you're going to need to get finance through either a bank or through a mortgage broker. So, this is really something that you, you might start off by speaking to a bank or broker years before you're ready to buy to get yourself ready to, to have an understanding of what you need to save and what your income needs to be, et cetera, to get ready. So that is the first person that you need to have a think about. And my recommendation, and I am sure you will agree with me, Chris, is that, <laughs> a, <laughs> is that a mortgage broker, I would always, 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 always go to a mortgage broker instead of straight to a bank. And I probably talked about why in that other episode. And, um, you yeah. know, for me, it's, it's, it's not only having access to multiple lender options, which is a key benefit, but it's having much more tailored personalized advice with someone who is ideally, well, in theory, a broker is much more contactable and holding your hand a lot more than than the bank. Absolutely. And I mean, it would be hard for me to argue that if, you know, the society were going the other way and they were going to banks in droves and brokers were literally not getting market share, but 70% of loans go through brokers now. In the UK, it's 90%. I mean, when I started in the industry, it was about 40% of loans went through brokers. And so there's a reason behind that. It's the choice. It's the, I mean, even just this week, we got an inquiry, you know, a client who's going direct to Beyond Bank. It could have been any bank I said there. Um, and, you know, they've got a settlement and they've been declined the loan. And how do I get this loan settled? And, you know, they're coming to us as brokers to look at other alternative solutions. And, um, you know, we'll probably save that situation, that client in that situation because we've got lots of options. Um, and you don't be too fearful to say, hey, I'm not going to go to a broker till I want to buy something because sometimes you have to put things in place many years in advance. Sometimes you have to fix your credit up or get rid of credit cards or get rid of your hex or, you know, start up, you know, get your business running a bit more profitably or get a pay rise or, there's just things that you might have to do. Um, now, even if you don't have to do it, there's no issue starting a relationship with brokers that you might use years down the line. Um, 
you know, it was just a couple of months ago, we had two clients buy that I chatted to six years prior. So they didn't <laughs> do anything. One already had a property as I was trying to upgrade, but one was a genuine first home buyer and um, just took six years to buy. So um, there's no issue starting that journey earlier. And that's the benefit of going to a broker, not a bank. I mean, the chance of walking into a branch and seeing the same bank teller or the same personal banker there six years later, um, I think that's highly unlikely, particularly if they're good because they get snapped up if they're good and move to other roles. So, um, oh, and I have yeah, a story for a, you, Chris. Yeah. Uh, the, um, a couple of weeks ago, I had this client who did decide for whatever reason to go straight to a bank rather than a mortgage yeah. broker. And and the banker was lovely. Like I did actually manage to chat to the same banker throughout the process, but came come time to settlement, um, the day before settlement, that client called me and said, oh, we didn't realize stamp duty was an additional cost. I know, I'm looking at your face right now. That was my face <laughs> as well, Chris. Now, obviously, the, the the lender, the banker had made sure that the clients could afford the stamp duty, but at no point in time had they been sent like a breakdown of costs and a breakdown of how much was they were going to be having to pay and like an allocation of costs. And they were mortified. I was mortified. Um, but and I'm not saying that all bankers are going to do that. And I'm not saying all brokers are definitely going to give you that. But I've just, I've never had that situation with a broker. Mm. And I've always found just the level of communication and support from a broker is better. And, you know, I, I've called brokers out of hours before many times. I try not to. I don't want to bother you guys. <laughs> but sometimes you really need an answer to things. And I don't know, some banks I find close at 4 p.m. Yep, so, and yep. definitely not open on weekends. So, yep. you just want to avoid that situation if you can. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. So, get yourself a good broker. Uh, there's 19,000 of them out there, but you just got to be careful who you pick. Um, yes, well, but this once is very you've got true. one in your armory, then we can start to think about because finance, you know, like there's no point thinking, hey, I want to buy that house in that street. If you can borrow 200,000 and that house is 2 million, right? So, it also gives you the you know, so you can start your journey and start looking at properties once you know what you can afford and what's what you your budget is, and then we can start to talk about who the yeah. next people to speak to. So, who would you go next, Amy? Yeah. So, and just to finish off that point as well, Chris. So, so is it? It's not mandatory to have a broker, it's, no. but it's highly recommended for, for yep. in, in, our, in our opinion. So that's what that's Therefore. when that falls into um, <laughs> that place. And also, you know, there's no real time that you need to, to do it but you know the sooner the better but even if you get to that point where you you're dealing with some banks and you're like nope I just don't want to do this I need a broker that's totally fine just reach Absolutely. out whenever you need one so the next property professional which is actually the only mandatory one is your legal representative um, and it's mandatory because you're going to need a legal rep to facilitate the transaction to facilitate the conveyancing, which is essentially the transfer of that property from the vendor's name into your name. So that all needs to be done. Um, but with the with that conveyancing process, there's kind of two steps to that process. The first part is getting a contract reviewed by that legal representative. And then the second part is that transfer process. And that's the mandatory part. But the contract review isn't mandatory. You can buy a property without getting the contract looked at. But for me, if you do nothing else and if you engage no other property professional, getting a, a, a conveyancer or a solicitor to read the contract and do a review for me is so, 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 so vital. Yeah, I mean, you could probably come up with 100 different case studies here on where the conveyancer slash solicitor has picked up on things. Um, 
And I think a lot of people, you know, the should be right mentality uh, is, you know, particularly when the market's moving really hot, you know, uh, and sometimes people do, they go, well, I'll sign the contract and then I'll try to negotiate in the cooling off or, and, you know, just not the same as negotiating up front, no, right? Um, not and at so all. What's, what's your take on, on that scenario? But also, um, you know, just where people have been a bit laxy-daisy and then been called out after settlement and said, oh, if I didn't, I negotiated this, shouldn't have, should have negotiated something and I didn't and now I've got a property with an easement through it that I didn't know or I've got, I don't know, something else. What's, what's some horror stories? Yeah, so the purpose of getting that contract looked at is, is kind of two main things. First of all, it's to understand what you're buying here in Victoria, we have a lot mm. of disclosure in the contract. In other states, there's not as much. So your legal rep might go and order these extra bits of paperwork and certificates, et cetera. So you want to know if there's any deal breakers in there or anything that's going to impact your decision to buy that property or the value you place on that property first and foremost. And then in addition to that, the second part is negotiating um, you know, any conditions that you might need changed or terms or anything in the contract that you want to amend. And you're right, Chris, it's a lot harder to negotiate those changes once the contract is signed. So doing that beforehand is, is ideal. So when should you get a legal representative involved? And first of all, just the, the difference between a conveyancer and a solicitor um, is a solicitor is a fully qualified lawyer and then a conveyancer just specials in, specializes in conveyancing. I'm not ever going to say one is better than the other. The two legal reps I use happen to be solicitors, but I've also seen some not so good solicitors in the past and I've seen some incredible conveyances. So it's not to say one or the other is better, just find someone who you really like. But as an overall, like I guess, general rule of thumb, if there's anything particularly tricky or anything that needs to get I guess any issues that arise later on, like a solicitor is generally a little bit more capable and qualified to deal with that in my experience. Yeah. And I've actually had conveyances. I completely agree with what you just said as well. We've got both, um, but a conveyance that we've done a lot of work with over the years, she's absolutely amazing. Um, you know, sometimes she does refer to a solicitor or a lawyer if it gets a little bit out of her scope or she realises that it's a bit of a technical situation where you need to get some advice. So they, I think some, some of the good ones know where their lane ends and then if they need that extra lane, they've got someone on hand. So, um, yeah, I mean, I guess it's just someone who's super experienced no matter what, you know, role you're looking at, you know, what, what position and, um, you know, someone who's, you know, got a bit of a team around them, been doing it they specialize in it you know someone who just does it a part here and a day there I don't know I just don't think yeah, you're seeing the I've amount had, of contracts um, yeah I've sometimes had clients who say oh my brother's sister's cousin's yeah. dog's friend's a lawyer and they're going to do the conveyancing for me or they're going to look at the contract for me I'm like what do they specialize in contract yeah. reviews and sometimes then they've done it and send it to me and I've said well what about this or, or, or you've mean this and I, I feel kind of awkward in those situations but yeah definitely a specialist um so when should you get the legal rep involved? Well, look, technically <laughs> you could send a contract to a legal rep a couple of days before you want to buy a property and, you know, they do the, the turnaround of the review then. But for me, ideally, when you start looking at a property, you already have someone in mind you want to use. You've spoken to them. You have an understanding of their fees. You have an understanding of their turnaround times. So my legal reps will do a review for me same day or on a Sunday if I really need to. 
but the person who you're going to be working with, well, maybe they need three business days to give you something or maybe they have an express service where you have to pay more and you just need to know all of those things. So when the time comes, you're not scrambling if they don't have capacity or their turnaround's too late and then you have to find someone else. So just get prepared with that. Yeah, and please don't use the cheap 990 online services. Um, I, I, I you, Who's checking that contract? You do not know their experience. Their whole model is... You know, uh, you know, and it does play into the bargain mentality a little bit. If I'm paying a million dollars, I want to save on fees and lawyers and and just, you know, what you do you want to get a, a result? Do you want to get value? Do you want to get service? Or do you just want to, you know, facilitate it and not get any real advice? We've seen some clients get some really sticky situations where it wasn't checked the contract like they thought it was. You know, they couldn't get access to them through to settlement. It was so stressful. They spent hours and hours of their time and mistakes got made. And they could have just spent an extra 500 bucks and got someone who's super experienced in their small little business that would have, you know, stopped all these issues. So don't try to save a few hundred dollars for the sake of using an online, cheap and cheerful conveyancing service. And an extra tip there, Chris, for me is I would always want a review in writing, a contract review in writing. Yeah, Or there is one. Um, one person I know here in, in Melbourne that does like a full verbal WhatsApp audio kind of thing, but she talks for like five minutes. But as long <laughs> as you've got something that you can refer back to and there's no, you know, miscommunication, misinterpretation, if they just talk to you over the phone, I'm not okay with that because then mm. you can't refer back to it, especially if something goes wrong. And it's almost relying on you then remembering things or writing down the right notes. So I know people do do that. I I personally would prefer to avoid that situation. So I would say highly recommend it, but slash mandatory. Um, I I have actually had a client who has done the process, but I think it was in ACT they purchased. Oh, they've done the conveyancing themselves. They did the conveyancing. (laughs) This person is one of our biggest clients uh, and earns millions and millions of dollars a year. We just could not. Okay, well, I'll put a little asterisk next to mandatory to say technically if you really (laughs) want to do your own conveyancing, Go nuts, but yeah, I'd probably not. <laughs> yeah, and this is like the work, the person who probably should least do it because their hourly rate at work is probably you know what that would have taken them in. That anyway, it defied belief. Yeah. So yeah, I think maybe it's not mandatory, but it's very highly recommended. So what's the next one we should go to here? All righty. Well, the next one is a building inspector. Yeah. Now we did a whole big episode on building inspection, so go listen to that. But a building inspector for me is mandatory. Like I always tell my clients, like I absolutely, I would get one in all cases, but it is technically optional. And I was speaking to a real estate agent recently and he told me that only around 20% of the buyers he sells properties to, or, or sorry, are considering buying his properties get building inspections. It's crazy. I, th- I was mo- like boggled my mind with that number. I would have thought if I'd guessed at least 50% of people do. Yeah. But the reason why sometimes people don't is because they're like, oh, it's such a big cost if I don't get that property. And it is. It it is an annoying cost of buying property, but it is such a necessary cost because we're talking about, you know, potentially saving tens of thousands of dollars, if not more, by avoiding problems down the track. And there's so many, there's so many benefits of getting a building inspection aside from just knowing whether you want to buy that property or not, you know, it's factoring in your negotiation cost, it's factoring in your maintenance plan in the long term. Mm. And for me, I get a building inspection and sometimes agents just 
don't understand why I do this, but even for brand new properties, because I just do want to see if there's any defects there. And sometimes for brand new properties, we will negotiate those defects to get fixed prior to settlement. Absolutely. Uh, sometimes newer properties have got some of the biggest issues, uh, which you obviously alluded to there. Um, but yeah, absolutely. I mean, I uh, we did an interview with uh, a big uh, platform basically that does building inspections and you can sort of cost share it and things like that. Um, and when I interviewed him on the elephant, you know, I was surprised by how many the stats he was saying exactly what you're saying, Amy, um, because absolutely what you're buying is an asset that if, if something is not right with that building, it could be a huge amount of sunk costs that you're never going to see that money again. And you could have just dodged a bullet by spending four or $500 on a building and pest inspector. And um, I think the really experienced ones, you know, they do have it, like you said, while they document it and they give you an amazing, they also will talk to you on the phone and they will give you their, you know, experience of how bad things really are and, you know, if they would really wouldn't buy the property because of these issues. And I just think you get a real good gauge chatting to them if they're really concerned about something because the report might be like oh yeah that wall's leaning over but on the phone they'd be like that wall could fall over at any point that could be two hundred thousand yeah. dollars or they could say um, it's actually not that bad i just had to put it in the report because it technically exactly. had to put yeah. it in there context yeah. we want to get context with building inspections yeah. And the reasons why they couldn't get into, I couldn't go upstairs or couldn't get in the roof because of that. And, you know, I generally couldn't get into it. And it concerns me, to be honest. Or actually, no, I don't think it's a big concern because of X, Y, Z. And that might not be in the report. So definitely try to chat to them. I do think you get a lot of confidence and um, around proceeding after you've got that report. And depending on you know, the, the, whether it's a private sale, depending on if you've got competition, et cetera, you can then make a decision where you, whether you do get one up front, which the benefits, there's lots of benefits of doing that, but then also the drawback is the cost if you don't get it. Um, or in some situations, you make your office subject to a building inspection as well. So go back to that episode on building and pest inspections because I deep dive into that much, much more thoroughly. Um, and even apartments as well, like a lot of people just don't get a, inspections on apartments, but the key costs there where are things that you can't see. And the most often thing I have with apartments is showers leaking or moisture behind walls. And these are things that if the inspector doesn't identify, you're not going to know about it until it's too late, until the damage is quite serious. So Absolutely. besides, um, so with a building inspector as well, like you... You might also in, uh, get a pest inspection too, and that's really going to depend on the property mm. that you're buying. So we don't we don't get pest inspections if it's like a, an apartment, for example. You know, especially these brick apartments, we just get the building inspection, which is a lot cheaper then. So instead of say six or seven hundred dollars, it might be three or four hundred dollars. Um, but a pest inspection, a, a lot of building inspectors are also then qualified to do pest inspections too. But from doing that inspection, your inspector might identify extra things or issues or concerns which involve you engaging more professionals. Mm. This doesn't happen super often for us, but just some examples include uh, sometimes we'll get a structural engineer out to provide further commentary and I've had a few situations where they've come out and they've said, oh, the this building inspector that was being a bit of a nana, there's no problems here, but better for us to just make sure. And then other times they've gone out and said, yep, this is, this is a deal breaker or this is going to be incredibly difficult to fix. Mm. 
And I know that the the idea of a structural inspection, that sounds expensive, doesn't it? But in my experience, they're about the same price, if not a little bit more than a building inspection. Mm. We've also had plumbers go out plenty of times. I've got this one plumber on call. I speak to him like at least once a week <laughs> to get him to go out and look at things or provide some quotes. Um, he does charge to quote for people who, like for my clients who haven't bought a property yet because he's not guaranteed yep. to get that work. That's totally fair. And I think if you're engaging someone to do a quote as well and they're going to charge you and you haven't yet bought that property, just Absolutely. pay it. Like that is so worthwhile. Um, and then sometimes I've had electrical inspections as well. Uh, and then also I've got a on-call a, a damp expert. I don't have to get, I get him involved very much, but sometimes if the inspector has identified dampness and the client's really keen on that property, we get him out, get his opinion, to, again, to figure out is that a deal breaker or is it something that can be fixed? Like how do we fix that going forward? Yeah, and I think part of your negotiation, particularly if you've done this up front and you're trying to deal with this pre-auction and trying to make an offer, sometimes the vendor's expectations are very high or maybe they've got their own building in Pest and, you know, it was a favourable one because the agent organised it and it doesn't, you know, highlight a few key issues and you're able to, sometimes the vendor just doesn't know there's issues, that, you know, because they haven't mm. had the building checked and, you know, when you're making your offer, you can highlight those issues and, you know, and then you can, it gives you a place to negotiate rather than, you know, vendors' expectations are always inflated. We always think what we own is worth more than it is. And so it just gives you sometimes that bargaining tool. And absolutely, you're worth spending that extra money just to do that final check rather than your head in the sand. I'm in love with this property. Okay. There could be some issues down the line, but it's fine. And um, I'll try to kick that can down the road. I'll try to then resell it on with that issue in the future. Well, what happens if that issue becomes really, you know, widely known or someone else does that check and they're not willing to go to auction and bid on your property in the future, then you can have less competition. You can have issues selling it um, and you might be forced to fix it, even if it's um, not a huge issue that has to be fixed. No buyer wants to buy it until you fix it. So yeah, yeah be really careful buying a bit of a property with, with problems um, uh, if you haven't factored that into your purchase price. Yeah. So when, when should you get the building inspector involved? It's kind of the same as my answer to the legal rep. It, you know, you can get one last minute and quite often you could get a building inspector within 24 hours out there if you absolutely yeah. needed to, same day. But ideally you've got someone who you know you're going to use or maybe a couple of people just in case they're not available and you know their costs and you've got their details. So if you are in a situation where you need someone really quickly, again, you're not scrambling and panicking to try and find someone last minute. So at least having them in the back of your mind. Um, but then, yeah, if you need to, I've had building inspectors out to a property within an hour if I need to. But I think I've got a bit of bit more pull with my building inspectors yeah. because I use them hundreds of times a year. <laughs> yeah. When Amy calls, we answer. <laughs> <laughs> That's right. <laughs> um, so, all right. So we've talked about, and again, building inspections optional, but highly recommended. So we've talked about mortgage broker, we've talked about the legal representative and the building inspector. And those are kind of like the key ones that I think like come to a lot of people's minds when they're thinking about buying a property. But then there's uh, a bunch of other, uh, other ones which are very much optional, but we'll run through them just in case. So a buyer's agent, for example. So that is someone who helps you buy properties. 
And it's like the intermediary between you and the real estate agent. And they help with strategy. They help sourcing properties, finding off markets, due diligence, appraisals, auction bidding, everything. And it's becoming, and by the way, if, if you hadn't realized already, I'm, I'm a buyer's agent. This is what I do for work. <laughs> and it is becoming more and more popular over time um, as people see, sort of see the value in doing it. Um, but it is a cost and it's a cost which can impact your borrowing capacity and it's a cost which you need to see the value in, of course. So, I, I see the value in buyer's agents for more reason than them just potentially saving you some money. There's value in your time and sanity and saving your relationships and just getting you a better outcome maybe sooner than you would yourself. But again, this is very much an optional extra professional that you can engage. You might try and do it yourself for a little while, see how you go, and then engage someone later on if you need that extra help. Or sometimes I've got clients that say from the very beginning, I've got no idea what I'm doing. I need you on board. Yeah, I would say just the caveat to the buyer's agents. So I've been working with buyer's agents all the way back to 2012. I think that's when we might even have met all the way back there, Amy, back a long <laughs> time ago. Um and I've worked with probably over a hundred, um, in fairness, or probably over not hundred. Probably, Jeez. probably not. Probably not far off it. I reckon. I don't like even know a hundred buyers agents. Chris. Probably, <laughs> I reckon we we refer to forty to fifty. I reckon, like if mm -hmm. you add them all up across the country. Um, but I, I would say that maybe a hundred's a stretch. But I reckon at least fifty to seventy or something like that that I've actually worked with in some form. Um. I do think the quality of the buyer's agents varies dramatically, um, you know, and there's a huge cohort of buyer's agents coming into the industry with very little experience and, um, you know, on commission-only models and, and um, you know, uh, very salesy about just trying to get the transaction done and, you know, particularly investor buyer's agents and things like that. So, just be really careful who you engage, really have a good look at the history, where they've been buying, how long they've been buying for, who's training them, who's mentoring them, you know, what areas, what agents actually know about them. So, call some agents up and check to actually know who this person is. Yeah, um, that's a great do idea. Do your due diligence. It's A, it's a big cost, but B, it's once you make that big investment from a cost point of view, then you've got this sunk cost bias, right? And so you, you end up just going on with the process because you've already invested in it and then you end up buying a property. So, not only have you lost the cost because you didn't get a great service, but then you've actually, you've only gone and bought the wrong property rather than, so if you do your due diligence up front, pick the right buyer's agent, then that whole experience is a really nice experience and you get a good property because you picked the right buyer's agent. So it's one of those things, I think with a building inspector, maybe you don't spend weeks trying to figure out who's the best building inspector, <laughs> right? But I do think spending weeks debating yes, who's the best buyer's agent mm -hmm. is worthwhile. Um, do, your, do your time up front. And then you get the right buyer's agent and you'll get a great result. If you don't, unfortunately, we've seen it go wrong too many times, not just by the bad experience, but the wrong property at the end of it. Mm -hmm. And it's mm -hmm. really painful to unwind. It can be years and years of regret. So then kind of along the lines, kind of along the lines, like a buyer's advocate <laughs> would be a financial planner, but not <laughs> in that. Yeah. Where I'm going from there is in that it's very much optional, very much Absolutely. optional. And it really comes down to the type of support and help you need and the value that you see in doing that. I think if you're buying a home, it's pretty, you know, it's it's very optional. You know, you don't necessarily need that extra strategic support from a financial planner around that. But, you know, they're going to add value in different ways, like helping you map out the future um, and how that looks and how does that home fit into that. 
And how does that purchase then impact your longer term plans and make sure you've got your insurance sorted to protect yourself when you've got a mortgage? Um, So, you know, I, I think that for me, anyone can benefit from a financial planner. Um, But if your situation is pretty straightforward and vanilla and not too complex and you don't necessarily need long-term support, then no need to get one. But I personally think that all investors should have, should speak to a financial planner, at least chat to them at the very beginning. Doesn't necessarily mean you have to go through with it, but just to understand how they can add to you, because this is such a big decision that you're making and to figure out how to build a portfolio over time or make sure that that purchase, the cash flows and the budget and and the yield and everything, like align with your long-term strategy, that's that's quite hard for a lot of investors to figure out themselves. So I I would say in my, you know, um, categorization, I would say strongly recommended for an investor and then a home buyer, like quite optional. Yeah, and I just think you've got to be careful a little bit. I don't know if sound like a um, broken record here. With planning, you've just got to really understand that the person you speak to is pro-property. They're not just mm. anti-property. Very okay? much. So they are looking at it as a viable option. They do understand what a good property is, which I don't know many do. Um, but they also can compare that to different strategies. So they don't only like, no, 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 property market's going to collapse. You know, it's way overpriced. They're a big property bear. And, hey, you should just put your money in shares. It's much safer, blah, blah, blah. They, they should be able to provide a scenario analysis. Hey, if you put more money into super, this is how the benefits you. This is how it would benefit if you buy a little share portfolio. This is how you could buy a property and, you know, help you think through your different scenarios. And then you might say, well, actually, you know what? I could just pay my mortgage off or I could just put some more money into super. I don't have to just go down this property because sometimes we do that. We, And then sometimes you might also be missing easy wins. Just topping up your super a couple hundred bucks a month might be affordable for you and you might be missing that little um, benefit. Um, but insurance is a big one. Um, as soon as you take on that debt, particularly for first-time buyers or investors, um, you've got to start thinking through what happens if I couldn't work anymore because – I got an injury or an illness or what happens if I passed away or got disabled or my wife or partner or, you know, so you've got to start, definitely get those insurances and then your estate planning done after that. So, yeah. yeah and if you're a financial a planner, that's the person you're speaking to, if they start to give you specific advice around locations or pro- the property <laughs> itself or like, oh, you should buy in this particular block of apartments or this estate or something, just say, thanks for your time. We're not, <laughs> you're not my planner anymore. Like they should not be giving you that type of advice. That is the job of a, a buyer's agent. So just make sure all of these property professionals, I feel like I've said this on other episodes as well before, but I, because I, um, I'm in the center, I'll, I'll call myself the center of the universe <laughs> when it comes to like organizing all of these professionals for my clients. And I have had people in the past step outside their lane had building inspectors give their advice on the value of the property. You know, I've had solicitors once comment on the location. I'm like, that is not their job. You mm. need to be really careful if that happens and just understand what everyone's role actually is. I think you're right because planners step into the property space with their mindset around investing and they get sold. They fall for it in investment circles. They fall for the marketing and they fall for the marketing in property um, and they fall for the 
the beliefs of depreciation and new property. And so they get a little bit to be dangerous and they go out spruiking basically ignorantly because they actually don't understand the dangers of it. Um, and so be really careful if a plan is taking you down that route. I mean, it's probably a good time to flip into accountants. I mean, well, I was going to say, that, speaking yeah. of depreciation, Chris, <laughs> yeah, we can talk about accountants. Um, and again, very much optional. And, and also, again, for a home buyer, you know, you, you might not need an accountant, especially if your situation is quite simple and straightforward. Um, but if you're buying an investment property, I do think that an accountant is really great just to make sure that even to begin with, you've, you're purchasing in the right structure, the right entity. Um, you know, you've got options here. You can buy in a trust, you can buy in a company, you can buy in personal name, et cetera. And it's hard if not sometimes impossible, to change that later on without repercussions. Yeah. But then also, you know, my accountant, bless him, he's super patient. He fields questions for me quite often about <laughs> capital gains tax and things I can claim and can't claim. And, you know, we, we've got a family trust and, 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 and numerous companies for our developments, et cetera. Um, and, you know, these are not questions that are easily answerable yourself. So I think as an investor and accountant is strongly, strongly recommended. Absolutely. Um, you know, particularly when you start doing things like Airbnb and like you say, developments and renos and, you know, you know, I think the ATO is getting smarter and smarter. AI and the ATO are becoming friends and um, you want to be on the right side of that. I think the mm -hmm. old school way, the accountant that could skirt around and claim more and more things than you potentially should, I think you're asking for problems. Um, and so just be really getting a great accountant, the one that gives you really good advice, um, not the one that will give you the biggest deductions. Um, yeah, and, and accountants, so um, accountants love depreciation because their job is to save you tax, right? And depreciation, it's, you know, it, it is technically saving you cash, like it's getting money back into your pocket. But from a, if we look at it from the bigger picture, depreciation is a recognition of loss, an on-paper loss for a property. And the amount of accountants in the past who I've had tell their clients to buy properties which are brand new or really new so they can maximise depreciation that is terrible, 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 terrible advice. So please, again, if your accountant is, is, is telling that to you, their job is to not recommend a property to get depreciation. Their job is to just explain to you what depreciation is. <laughs> Absolutely. And make sure they full, full, uh, finish this, close, this, close the loop. I mean, a lot of um, people in the proper, new property space say depreciation is deductible from an income tax point of view, but they don't explain what happens when you sell the property and how it affects capital gains tax. Um, mm. And I think that's a huge... Uh, you know, what's that? Pa saying a little bit of the story, you know, not disclosing the full picture. Um, because years later, when you go sell that property, you're like, oh my god, I got all these initial tax deductions, but now I've got a much higher capital gains tax bill because I reduced my cop space. So, um, yep. yeah, accountants giving property advice, danger, 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 just as bad as the financial planners, if I'm honest. Um, and but you know, getting a depreciation report isn't through the accountant. So, even if you buy an established property, getting you know, a quantity surveyor doing a report for you which might cost five six hundred dollars that will still give you some deductions and on older buildings and so it's not, it's not new buildings even older buildings have depreciation so you just need to engage them if you're buying an investment property to do a depreciation report yeah so that's another professional who if you're an investor 
you should always get one. Or And if your property is super, super old and you're not sure, just have a chat to one and they'll tell you whether it's worthwhile or not, the cost of their report versus the, the amount that you might be able to claim back over the lifetime that you own that property. Um, and I think you know, a lot of investors forget to do this. They'll buy an investment property. Maybe they just won't even know about it or it'll be on their list of things to do and they just forget about it. Um, So ideally, once you buy an investment property, just get onto it straight away. You've got that report. That report will, you know, uh, have the depreciation over the next, I think, is it 20 years, 30 years? I think it's 30 years. And then every year I just give that to my accountant, just that they've got that on file. So there's plenty of QS uh, quantity surveyors out there. Um, Again, optional, but strongly recommended. Absolutely. So who have we missed, Amy? We've got, uh, I mean, if you're renovating, I mean, that's probably, and a lot of people are renovating, right? I mean, even if you're wanting to do small tweaks or knock down rebuilds, um, you know, if you are going to do one of those, I recommend if you've got time, um, is to try to get as much DD done prior to purchasing it because with renovations, you know, things like flame zones or what the, what's possible on that land with town planning and easements and, you know, the state of the property um, is in and how much work it would be with an architect and uh, the floor plan. You know, you can pay, you know, a few thousand dollars to do all this DD up front, um, which may say, you know what, I thought it'd be $500,000 to renovate this place, but that's, you know, pie in the sky. It's really going to cost well over a million dollars. You haven't well, we're probably going to have to do um, a whole separate episode on this because the amount of professionals that you can get involved in the renovation extension process is there's so many of them <laughs> and you might need a couple of them. You might not need any of them or all of them. And I'm mindful of the time, but just just as a as an example, the types of professionals who you might engage, not necessarily beforehand, because sometimes, you know, for example, a builder is not going to be able to quote a full extension if you don't have plans. You're not going to always be able to get plans done before you buy a property, and Absolutely. in which case, you know, the way that I overcome that issue is, I'll be I'll speak to you know, builders or I'll speak to say, you know, kitchen renovation places and just say, have you done any projects of a similar scale recently and how much have they costed? You mm. know, that's sometimes the best that you can do. Absolutely. But, you know, I've, I'm uh, renovating my house at the moment. It's a full extension and the professionals I used was a, a drafts person. So I used a drafts person or you might use an architect. Um, and it's kind of, I'll use the comparison to a solicitor versus conveyancer. Whereas an architect's are more qualified and experienced, but you don't necessarily always need one and they are more expensive. Um, you might need a town planner um, if you need any kind of planning approvals or planning permissions, so a soil tester, an arborist potentially to um, be able to do a tree report for you, just depending on mm. what you need, um, a building surveyor. So there's all of these extra people and it's, Again, we'll save this for another episode one day um, because sometimes you can project manage like I did engage all of these people separately or sometimes you can just pay someone and say, I don't know what I'm doing and it'll cost you a bit more but they will organise all of this for you because it, it can be quite overwhelming. Absolutely. So as we close out 2023, you're probably listening in 2024 if you're buying. Hopefully this has been helpful in helping you figure out who to engage. Um, and if you'd like any help from Amy in, in Melbourne or you're looking to talk to a broker, absolutely check in the show notes for our contact details. And um, I wish everyone a great 2024, you included, Amy. 
Yeah, you too, Chris. Looking forward to it. (laughs) Thanks so much. See you later. Thanks for tuning in to the Australian Property Podcast. If you love the show, why not subscribe or leave us a review on Apple or Spotify? And if you want to work with me, Amy, Pete or Chris, you'll find links in your podcast player to get in contact with us. Thank you for listening to this episode of the Australian Property Podcast. We're huge advocates of getting the right advice at the right time from the right people. That's why it's important to understand that this podcast episode contained general financial information only. It is not designed to be specific or personalized to your financial, tax or legal situation. With property, the check sizes are pretty big, so it's important you get advice from a licensed and trusted professional before acting on the information you hear in RAS podcasts. Thanks again for listening. For more than a decade, I've been hunting for the best investors and their methods, strategies and tools for investing. After years in the industry, countless books, a few degrees, and 1,000 podcasts and live shows, I've rolled this accumulated knowledge into something called Rask Invest. If you've ever heard me talk about a core and a satellite, active and passive, true long-term compounding, or you simply want to know exactly how I would invest, now is your chance. Rask Invest is our new investment service designed for all types of investors who want professional management of their core portfolio at a low cost from a team they trust. Rask Invest helps you automate your wealth creation and passive income. Simply click the link that says Invest with Owen in your podcast player to join one of our live platform walkthroughs or book a call with us. You can also view the Rask Invest PDS and TMD and get invested with me.